I know. All right, let's get going. I suppose we ought to. We'll have fellowship after church. Maybe we should, should we meet in the fellowship hall before church and then we can, yes. <laughs> oh, don't go any, don't, don't go too far. <laughs> All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, did we get the kiddos off? Did everybody get off to their classrooms okay? I, I, I'm surprised I haven't had a teacher come running back in here. Um, wondering what in the world I, I'm doing. Um, so, I, real quick, like, uh, if you walked into the fellowship at all this hall this morning, um, you saw there was full of full carts, um, and I promise I did it on purpose. I promise that I didn't, like, stop giving people food yesterday during the food bank and, like, deny, like, 50 people food. That, that is not at all what happened. Um, we got to the food bank. was a really strange day yesterday. Um, we had a low number of volunteers, but we also had a low number of people who attended the food bank. Um, and what ended up happening is we, uh, we ended up with a bunch of, of dry goods, um, rice and beans and lentils and, and those kinds of things. And um, I apologize, but I am who I am. So uh, I would really like, um, I, we loaded up a bunch of carts, and I would really like for everyone in the church to take a cart with a purpose. Um, and that is that, that all that stuff is stuff that we'll keep. It will keep for years. So get yourself a, a plastic tub. Get yourself something that you can put that food into so that if we have shortages, if we have another problem, because there's, there's flour, there's oil, there's rice, there's beans, there's lentils, there's stuff that we'll keep for a long, long time. And it will give you a supply of food if we happen to have a shortage again where we can't get to stores or where something happens. And here's the thing. I might be being paranoid, but I was thinking about, um, you know, when, uh, when they were in going down to Egypt during the famine, they had seven years of plenty, and then they had seven years of famine. And during those seven years of plenty, they stored up. And the thing is, we have plenty. Um, we had a strange Sunday where, for some reason, we had this, this surplus. It's not usual, and it's a good time to take advantage of that to store up. And here's the thing is that seven years from now, if you haven't used it, that is a great time to get on your knees and thank God that you had seven years of plenty, that you enjoyed plenty for seven more years. You could stare at that plastic container and say, you know what? I never needed it. I had it. It sat there. I was in plenty this entire time. And if you do need it, you have it. Or maybe you can share it with someone who does, does need it, okay? So please, everyone, like I say, please, after church, Grab a cart, take it out there. We still have the stuff out because I think we're going to need to shop a couple of times. We're probably going to need to empty some carts and refill them. But please, please, please take that, take that with you. Um, 
right, I'm going to hand over the microphone real quick like to, uh, to Mr. Ed Ralston. He had asked me a couple of weeks ago to be able to, to say a couple of things, and um, so we finally have that opportunity. So I'm going to hand over to him, and then we'll finish the announcements, and then we'll, we'll get on with our morning. So good. <sighs> yeah, it is nice, isn't it, to have a family, a church family to come to? Okay. Uh, so, uh, mission update. Thanks, Ed. Love you, brother. Um, 
so I don't know if you guys have been following uh, Matthias, uh, but down in Uganda. Matthias actually was uh, here yesterday. He's sp- not here, here. He spoke over at Bethlehem uh, yesterday, um, which is, is good stuff. Um, in the news uh, down in Thailand and Myanmar, I don't know if you guys have been following that, but um, the crisis has not gotten better. Um, there are refugees just streaming into India and Thailand, uh, fleeing what's going on there. Um, there was some rumors that um, the Chinese military is now helping the um, the military there um, uh, cracked down. They have thousands of people in prisons right now. So please um, keep them in your prayers. Um, if I, you know, we hear from Ray and Candace, um, we will certainly connect with them and give you um, an update on that. Um, today we have a, a wonderful special day. So we have um, Lou Lucas and, and Steve and those guys from the Gideons. They're going to come up. Um, Lou's going to come up and speak to us in just a moment. Super excited to have them here. Uh, we, they have continued to supply us with Bibles that we give away for food bank, um, as well as all of the other ministries that they do spreading the word. Um, so it's, it's just amazing and fantastic, the work that they do, and we will get to hear about that in just a moment. Um, and then uh, we are uh, still working on having uh, somebody come and, and talk to us about jail ministry, and we will get that going as, as quickly as possible. Um, I didn't get it out yet, but um, I will this before we leave today. We need to get the sign up done for uh, for Secret Church. It's on Friday the twenty third. Um, I have ordered some books for that, so that we'll you can get that going. Um, but that will be Friday the twenty third, and then the twenty fifth is our is our potluck and our and our barbecue cook off. Um, so again, please everyone, please come. Um, you know, just just come. Let us hang out. Let us have some fellowship time together. Um, share a meal. All of that. Um, we have Bibles at the back of the church. Um, please remember that. Please remember the library. Um, please remember to submit your, your prayer request to the, the giving box at the, the back of the church. Um, yeah, let's see. Is that? Go through my list. Make sure, because I always miss one. I always miss one or I give a wrong date or something for, uh, uh, for our announcements. But I think that's, that's everything that we have. Uh, coming up on uh, Memorial Weekend is actually our fifth Sunday. Um, and we will still be doing Fifth Sunday. So if there are any of the kiddos that have a, a Bible verse on their hearts that they want to, to talk about, um, that's, their, that's their opportunity. They get to take over the whole place and just run it. So um, like I say, if there's any of the kids or grandkids that, um, that are excited about that, that want to do that, um, please uh, get them in touch with me and we will, we will do it. Because it's great fun. It's great fun to hear from them. Well, they, um, they have such wisdom and such... They bring... They don't bring any of the baggage that I do to the scriptures. They don't bring any of the, the stuff. It's, um, it's wonderful when we get to hear from them. Um, let's see. We do have a couple of birthdays, don't we? Cheryl and Eileen, we have a couple of birthdays today. So can we sing happy birthday to them? Well, I'll take my microphone off so I won't ruin it, okay? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, she's... 
Okay. Oh, you have a card for it? Did, did everybody hear? So Eileen's in the hospital. Oh, she's home now, yeah? Okay, yeah, she, she came home. But, yeah, well, there's a card for her if you want to, um, if you could please sign that, that would, that would be great. Okay, let's sing. Let's sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Cheryl and Eileen. <laughs> happy birthday to you. There's a reason why we have Nathan. <laughs> um, all right. Oh, let's see. Uh, I do have, I did get an anonymous, it was completely anonymous submission on the joke contest. Apparently they didn't want me to give them credit. I don't know. Um, but here we go. We have a list of, of jokes right here. Are you ready? These are rapid fire. What do you get when you wrestle a pig? Pulled pork. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, it, they get better. What does the clock do when it's hungry? It goes back for seconds. Yeah, I know. What does bread do after it's baked? It just loafs around. No? What is the scariest time of year for an avocado? Guactober, of course. No? Okay. Why does everyone love warm bread? It's the toast of the town. No? Okay. Or can you make a sandwich of corned beef, sauerkraut, and Swiss cheese? Well, why not? I know. There they are. It was anonymous, though. I can't give credit for those mediocre... Oh, shoot. <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, so, uh, uh, Lou, are you ready? All right. So, uh, this is Lou Lucas from, uh, from the Gideons. He's going to come up. He's going to talk to us. Um, he's got... Yeah, you have the floor. Um, and uh, we're so excited to have you here. Lou, thank you and welcome.
Void, but it shall accomplish what I please. 
this might be a little bit different way of it going forth than what was intended, but <laughs> it went forth. It shall accomplish what some time past looked behind me and saw a very short man all covered with tar. Tar was only his arms, face, shirt, pants, and legs. Our man was named Moody. Peace was in those times. <clears throat> he proclaimed, I was on the roof of that building, and I was contemplating taking my life because I am so messed up. But a miracle happened. God hit me in the head with this book. <laughs> I just read in this Bible that I can have eternal life. Please, sir, tell me how. Carlos Schramm, our interpreter and medium from Brazil, witnessed to me in 30 minutes to my brother in law. Medium Place Bible has the potential to reach 2,300. Imagine the impact of a single copy of that. Right now, millions have lost God's word.
Thank you so much, Lou. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Steve. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Um, after service, they're going to hang out um, right over by uh, where Guy is. And if you can, um, if you have a love offering for them, please do so. Um, and then, or if you want to just add something onto your um, onto your regular giving and put it in the offering box, we will make sure um, that it gets to them. Um, because like I say it's oh, yes, just Barb. Yeah, yeah, please. Now, ironically, or, or not, this was not planned. I, I, as you know, I don't plan. Um, but we are at the very end of, of Luke today, and it just happens to be about the Great Commission, about sending out and about mission work. So we are at the very end of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 24, and we are in verses 36 through 53. This finishes up the, the book of Luke for us. We'll be starting into, uh, into the Gospel of John next week. So it's been crazy to think that um, three years ago we, we started off with our, our ventures into, into Matthew, and now here we are coming out of the, the synoptic Gospels. So um, let's pray, and then let's open our word. Father God, we come before you today. We are so thankful for this day. We are thankful for this beautiful sunshine. We are thankful for this wonderful place where we live. Father, I'm thankful for the Gideons. I'm thankful for their mission work. I'm thankful that they came today to speak to us. You work in so many wonderful ways. Father, we seek to continue that. We seek to do more of that. We seek to be working for you. We've got your word open in front of us. Father, please open your heart, open your mind, open your wisdom to us that we would be effective servants for you, approved workmen, please. Amen. So Luke 24 verses 36 through 53. It says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. 
And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still do not believe it, because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with your power from on high. And when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. To read the same thing, the very end of, of Matthew, it's the Great Commission. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So I'll ask the same question that I did when we ended up at the last time. Because this is the whole point. This is the whole point of teaching this, of learning this, is who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? And do you tell people about him? How do you tell people who Jesus is? Do you talk about the Trinity? Do you talk about him being fully man, about him being fully God? Do you talk about him being Messiah, deliverer for yourself or maybe for everyone? How do you talk about him? Because Jesus does this in this last cave. He recaps. He goes all the way from Genesis, all the way to Revelation. He says, hey, I have taught you all of these things. Now go and proclaim it. Say it. Baptize people. Tell them about me. I was thinking about, it's interesting how much time Jesus spent teaching. And it brought to me a, a new value for the New Testament. I talk about it quite a bit, how the, the Jewish leadership, they really seem to have missed the boat. They really seem to have gotten lost. And it's one of the things that Jesus, he spent three years traveling throughout the Holy Land teaching, making sure that he taught the scriptures correctly. And then he added on, we got the New Testament. And there's an argument to be made. You could stand here and say, well, you know, you could find God, you could find Jesus without the New Testament. And that's very, very true. Abraham had no testament, and he found God. Think about the thief on the cross. He didn't spend years studying the Bible. He didn't spend years in church. He simply looked on Jesus and said, please remember me. And Jesus said, today I tell you the truth. You will be with me in paradise. So it, it's not absolutely necessary, but we have this wonderful gift. All of those teachings that Jesus put down, all those things that he said were written down and given to us. That's a wonderful gift that the Old Testament scholars didn't have. And we should 
grab on to that. Like I said, they, they ended up drifting off. They ended up having to be course-corrected. Jesus spent a large part of his ministry doing just that, giving course correction to the testament that they already had. So when we open up our Bibles, as we progress through these, we should have a new appreciation for that, that all of the things that the Old Testament scholars did not have, the things that Jesus wanted to correct them on, we get. What an amazing gift to have, to have knowledge that exceeded that all of the traditions and everything that they had. It should give us an appreciation for that. So when we start off, we look at, we flip over to, to Matthew chapter 1, where it starts off with uh, the genealogies. When we flip over to Luke, where it starts off with, with genealogy. When we go to Mark chapter 1, where it talks about John the Baptist preparing the way. Those are things that were new, that were written down new that biblical scholars didn't have before then. Where we're going is John 1.1. This is beautiful. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's next week. So the, where we've just finished up, the Synoptic Gospels, they start at the beginning and they end at the, at the middle. They end at the middle, end, sort of, right at the start of the third act before we get to Revelation. We've been talking about this quite a bit, that we have to have a bend, a bias towards Christ retur returning. We think about who the authors were. Think about Matthew, the, the Jewish tax collector. Think about Mark, who was with them through all these things. Then we get to, to Luke, right? We have Mark, who was the cousin of Barnabas, who went with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, right? And remember, if we go to Acts 13, we hear about how uh, he and Paul kind of fell out because, because Mark left them in Perga. And then they were reconciled. If we go over to Colossians 4, Mark and Paul were reconciled. And then we read uh, Philemon. It says, Mark was an encouragement to Paul. Even in 2 Timothy 4.11, that's where Paul says, pick up Mark and bring him with you. He's helpful to me. Think about the different audiences. Matthew was written to the, to the Jewish audiences. Mark was written to the Gentile believers in Rome. Now we get over to, to Luke. So who was Luke written to? It was written to one person, to this Theophilus, to one man is who it was written to. But Luke, our author that we've been studying, he, he's responsible for writing a whole third of the New Testament between Luke and, and Acts. Incredible. We know that he's a doctor. If we were to, uh, to flip over to, to Colossians chapter 4, in uh, verse 14, that's where we hear about our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and, and Demas send greetings. 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. If we go over to Philemon chapter uh, 24, uh, sorry, verse 24. It's only one chapter, Phil. Come on. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. You've got to read your own outlines, man. We know that our gospel was written between AD 60 and 61 because we know that there's no mention of the fall of Jerusalem. There's no mention of the death of James, the Jesus' brother who died in AD 62. There's no mention of Nero's persecution where Peter and Paul were died. It was probably written in Rome since Luke was with Paul during his imprisonment we read in Colossians and Philemon. 
Again, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. Mark was written to a Roman audience. Luke was written to one probably Gentile person. Like Mark, Luke avoids using Aramaic terms. It says, Abba, Father, Rabbi, Rabboni, Hosanna, Golgotha. He uses Calvary instead. And he also does us a great service. There's a reason why we know a lot of Jewish customs, and that's because Luke takes the time to explain them to us. But the whole purpose of Luke's gospel, we just came from, it's stated in Luke chapter 1, verse 4. It says, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. How you doing? Do you have the certainty of the things that you have been taught? As we come to the end of this gospel, how confident are you feeling about it? Are you feeling pretty good? It's been, it's hard to believe it, but it's been three years that we've been going through these synoptic gospels. So we have started at the beginning of Matthew and, and gone through. How are you doing with it? Are you feeling pretty confident? Because we get to the end of the book, and he says, all right, now it's time to go. You've heard all the things that I've taught. You've seen the miracles. You've heard the teachings. You've seen people healed. You witnessed. You stood there on Calvary. You watched Jesus die on the cross. You watched him be pierced. You watched him hang there. And then you were a witness. You were right there. You ran to the tomb, and you saw that it was empty. You saw the stone rolled away. How are you doing? How are you feeling? You were in the room with the apostles and the disciples as Jesus appeared to them. You were there on the, the Mount of Olives as Jesus ascended and said, Don't worry, I'm coming back. Just like you see me go, I will come back on the clouds. He says, Now, now go. Now go and preach the word. How are you feeling about it? I was thinking we were talking about it, it's been on my mind quite a bit recently. I don't know if you guys have been watching the news, but it's been kind of bouncing around, not on the mainstream news, but kind of in the, you know, the, the Christian circles, and I think uh, there was a little bit on, on Fox News as well, but in Canada, things are radically different than they are here. Um, was, you know, uh, John MacArthur's church in California, they had a little bit of, of some rubbing with, uh, with the authorities there, but it was, it was quickly stopped. They didn't really want to make all those people that, that go to, to John MacArthur's church mad. But there was a time where, um, where they were trying to, uh, to get John to stop, stop hosting services, and he had um, some fines and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, the, 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 uh, as soon as they went to court, the court said, no, we're not going to get into a fight with, with, uh, with John MacArthur over the First Amendment. We're, we're not going to do that. But in Canada, things have been, been very different. If you saw, there was kind of a viral video that was going around of a, a Polish pastor in Canada who, um, on Easter service, uh, the, the police actually came to their church um, with uh, their health people and were trying to, to shut it down. He gets into a, I mean, he literally is yelling at these people to get them out of their, um, out of their church service. And Canada's a little different. They don't have a Bill of Rights like we do, but they do have a criminal code that says that you can't interrupt um, it's actually a crime to interrupt a, a church service um, for the authorities to do that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's interesting, but um, there was another church there, the Grace Community Church there. Um, there was a pastor that was actually put in jail for, for over a month um, for continuing to, uh, to preach uh, during, the, during the pandemic. And it's still ongoing. He's still got court cases pending and, and that kind of thing. And uh, this last week, uh, there was two weeks ago, um, they, they went there 
and uh, the, they were trying to get into the church service. They had, they had the, the lawyers outside. It's a, it's a fairly big church. It looks like they have several thousand people. Um, but they had their lawyers outside, met with the authorities. They left, and then the next day, the authorities came back, and they actually changed the locks on the church and put up fencing all the way around the building to, uh, to keep people out. And uh, it's important to note that those, neither one of those places, not John MacArthur's church, not um, the, the Polish church or the, the Grace Community Church, have ever been sites where there's been an outbreak of, of COVID, just as a, as a note. How does that make you guys feel when we hear about that, when we hear about in what we would consider to be a, a civilized, if not a more civilized nation than our own, about police officers, armed police officers entering churches and and trying to shut them down, entering on Easter, trying to, uh, to put them down. See, the natural reaction is fear, isn't it? It's fear. It's to be afraid, to be worried about our church, to worry about what's coming for us, to worry about what's coming down the pipe. That's the natural reaction. Stop it. Stop it. The Bible is very, very clear. It will be easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one jot or one tittle of this book to be taken away from us. It will not happen. The end of the age will come before anything happens to this world. Don't worry about the church. Don't worry about it. We have faced persecution before much worse. We are very comfortable. We are very spoiled. I was thinking we should turn on the air conditioner. <laughs> We live in a very wonderful time in a very wonderful place. And here's the thing. I, we have in front of us unprecedented opportunities. If you were to think back to your grandparents' generation, to your parents' generation, there has never been an opportunity like this in America. Before, everyone went to church. Everybody did. It was part of the culture. You just went. Whether you believed or you didn't, whether you cared or whether you didn't, you went to church. Millions of people that would just come and pay lip service, do the thing, and then leave. All of that has stopped. The church has gone through a great winnowing where the people that are going to churches, they do it because they believe it, because they want it, because they want to know more about the Bible. They want to know Jesus. And that means that the people that aren't here are people that need to hear about Jesus. They're people that are opportunities for us to spread the gospel. We have at our doorstep unprecedented opportunity to reach people that don't have any of the scars that so many of us bring into church. There's a reason why we're non-denominational, why we do worship the way that we do. It's because so many of us grew up in those formal churches and we're like, man, I, it was empty ritual that didn't bring me closer to God, and we wanted to reject that. We wanted to reject empty ritual because the ritual wasn't bringing us closer to God. In fact, it was creating a barrier for us. That's why so many of us have rejected traditional church. And there are millions of Americans, actually the majority, for the first time, the majority of Americans who don't have those scars, who don't have those things. They don't have those barriers. They don't bring in all of the things that we brought in. It's like a fresh page. It's like a, a white sheet. It's, it's completely new. We should be so encouraged to live where we are, when we are, 
because we have this great opportunity to go out and to tell people that may have never really heard the gospel. They think they know because they hear it in our culture, kind of bouncing around in cynical circles and, and that kind of thing. But they don't really know. They've never really heard the word. And that's really great, right? That there's nothing there that's, that's tainting or bending or sending away. We have a chance to just go, no, just read it. We have a chance to hand out a, a pocket New Testament and say, no, read it for yourself. This is life-changing stuff. Isn't that great opportunity? We need to seize on that. So the question is, how are you feeling? Could you teach it? Could you teach it? Could you teach it to somebody? And I don't want you to feel bad about it. I want you to be excited about it. And if you're going, man, I'm a little weak here, I'm a little weak there, or I don't know if I could, or I don't know how, that's perfectly okay. That's why we're here. <laughs> that's why we come to this place week after week, is not only for ourselves, for our renewing of ourselves, for a renewing of our mind, but to prepare us to go out for the next week, to proclaim the gospel to those around us, to live it, right? We proclaim the gospel and we use words if we have to. So Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about faith and action. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him on the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. There's no going back. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is a great time. This is a great time to be like these folks, to realize that we're just visitors here. We're just ambassadors for the king. We're just heralds. We're just messengers. This isn't our home. This isn't where we belong. 
we follow the government because it is good and right to do so. But that's not where we belong. That's not our citizenship. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we have a higher purpose. Our purpose is to get more brothers and sisters into the family. That's our whole purpose. If they don't know their father, if they don't know their heavenly father, say, hey, I know you feel like an orphan. And we were just, I was talking with my mom about this yesterday, record numbers of people, children, adolescent children, who are suffering from depression. And sometimes that needs medication, but sometimes they, they're feeling what they should feel, which is, I feel like an orphan on this planet. I feel like an alien. Guess what? You are. <laughs> You've discovered it. Great. Let me introduce you to your dad. He is dying to meet you on a cross. Wonderful opportunity. The thing is that not all of us will be called to radical mission. Not all of us will have to go to the ends of the earth. We aren't going to have to go and, and live in tents and, and go eat bugs. Thank goodness. I like air conditioning. But each one of us has been touched by Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves the question, have we been changed? Did we repent? Did we get on the right course? Did we change direction? I was thinking about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. His life was radically transformed by Jesus. And the evidence, he was unwilling to tolerate evil in himself anymore. He had to pay back. He had to repent. And our goal is to bear good fruit. That's our whole goal is to bear good fruit for the kingdom. And that's not to say that there won't be struggles. There will be struggles. Jesus promises. He says, if you follow me, you will be persecuted as I was persecuted. We should not expect anything different. We should not expect anything but to proclaim the gospel in the town square and to spend the night in jail. That's our heritage. That's where we go. Where it will be struggle. There will be tragedy. The question is, what comes from the tragedy? I was thinking about the, those Roman guards that were sent to, to guard the tomb. That had to be one of the strangest conversations to have. When you go back to the Jewish authorities and go, uh, yeah, we ran. Uh, this angel showed up, and uh, he was moving the stone, and uh, we ran. And they said, okay, uh, we're, we're not going to tell people that you ran. Um, we're going to tell that the disciples came, and they, they took the body. That's what we're going to tell everybody. And the Roman guards are going, um, have you seen the Jewish fishermen? Well, you think Jesus spent three years training them to be ninjas? <laughs> what you're thinking, they could take on these Roman soldiers and, and win, and we all survived, not a mark on us? What a strange report to give. But in the face of those angels, they were paralyzed with fear. They abandoned their post, but they still had to report in. They went into the chief priests, and they gave an honest report of what happened. And I have to think that they were probably hoping for help. They were probably hoping for an explanation, for someone to explain to them what had happened. There had to be part of them that after seeing these angels, after seeing the resurrection firsthand, they had to be going to those religious leaders going, you have to know what happened. What happened? Tell us the truth. What did we just see? And instead, they were told a lie to say, no, the disciples took care of things. 
Because here's the thing, the Romans and the chief priests, they want nothing to do with Jesus or his followers. All of them had heard Jesus' teaching. All of them had seen the miracles. All of them had witnessed his death. All of them had witnessed his resurrection. Those soldiers had a first-hand account. Remember the Roman soldier at the cross? He said, surely this was the Son of God. But they still didn't get it. They were so corrupt that they even had to lie, even when the truth sounded better. It would have sounded better to say, no, an angel came and rolled the stone away. We ran away in fear, not 12 fishermen came and beat us up and took the body. That's a horrible lie. My kids told me that lie. I'd be like, um, all right, let's try again. And the fruit of their work was the death of an innocent man. That lie ultimately led to the destruction of Jerusalem. But we could imagine it differently. We could imagine that instead, if the religious leaders had said, wait a minute, what happened? An angel appeared. The stone was rolled away. They had ran to the tomb. And then they'd gone to the disciples and they said, wait a minute. What happened? Tell us. Tell us what you heard. Tell us what you saw. What did he say in the temple courts? Remember Nicodemus? Remember, he was the teacher of Israel who became a believer. What if they had turned to Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, you talked with this guy. You learned from this guy. You believed in this guy. You defended this guy. You were the only one of us who defended him. And now he's risen. And angels speak of him. Tell us. Tell us what has happened. But they didn't do that. It gives us a strong lesson about our own, own selves, doesn't it? About clinging on to our own power, clinging on to the things that we hold dear in this world, clinging on to our idols. Because we can be just like them, unwilling to listen, unwilling in the face of miracles, unwilling in the face of everything that God does for us to repent, to change, to see. That's one of the things it says here in our verse for today, that the veil was taken off of their eyes. The scripture was revealed to them. That's exactly what we want for ourselves, is for Jesus to do this, and that's what he promises to do when we have faith in him, is to lift the veil from our eyes, to reveal the scripture to us, and to give us a heart like his, to do works like his, to spread the gospel to the end of the world. And obedience, it leads to witnessing to amazing and wonderful and horrible things. But still, Jesus said to go. And so we go. Now here's the thing. When things get tough, we can do one of two things. We can try and sort it out ourselves. That's my favorite option. Or we can try and obey. We can go to the Word. We can go to our biblical family. We can go to prayer. Say, Lord, I'm applying for this job. I, if it isn't right, tell me. Show me. Stop me. We're buying this house. We've done all the homework we can. But, Lord, if this isn't your will, please. And we can have doubts. That's one of the great things we learn from the disciples. We can have doubts. We can have reservations. We can bring them before Jesus. We love to pick on Thomas, but he is the one who taught us that it's perfectly okay to look Jesus in the eye and say, I have doubts. I'm scared. I don't understand. We can bring that before Christ, say it to his face, and he says, look, look at my hands. Touch my side. It's okay. I'm still here. You're not rejected because you doubt. You're not rejected because you fear. You're not rejected. Just come. 
bring all that right here before me. I got it. And Jesus says, the work of salvation is complete. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Death was defeated. Jesus claimed the power. And he demonstrated that power over sickness and disease and sin and demons. Think about his power over the earth when he's walking on water and storms and fish. He had power over death. He could bring people back to life. Incredible stuff. So the question is, what stops us from talking openly about Jesus, about the Bible? We get to be like those Sadducees and those Pharisees. We're afraid of losing our job. We're afraid of losing our comfort, our position, our power. Here's the thing is, it's done by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. And this is a singular event in history. The resurrection of Christ is absolutely unique. And it gives us a singular purpose to glorify God. That is our singular purpose. John MacArthur says, The mission that flows out of our loving fellowship, our spiritual growth, and our praise is that of being God's faithful and obedient instruments in his divine plan to redeem the world. He says, All authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all men. Spread the gospel. It was told to Abraham in Genesis 12.3. It was told to Israel in 1 Chronicles 16. And it's God's desired will that all men, everyone, come to salvation. That's in 2 Peter 3, 9, 1 Timothy 2, 4, and John 3, 16. The great thing is that we don't have to be masters. We just have to be students. We're not here to debate. We're not here to argue. We're just here to say what we know and what we have experienced. And as much as I love them, it's not even in memes and bumper stickers. But it does suppose something. It does suppose that we are prepared, that we are prepared to speak the gospel, that we are prepared to use words if we have to. Because there's thing is, there is a lot of misinformation about what is in the Bible and what we believe. As an example, one of the things that, that widely goes about is that Christianity is a fear mechanism that's used to oppress and control people. But John says, perfect love casts out fear. People believe that Christianity is about judging people. That's not true, is it? In fact, the Bible says specifically, judges, you would be judged. See, we have boundless opportunities to share the gospel. It should be the same as showing someone how to do something on your phone or a recipe or a skill that you have. We need to get over some of the anxieties that we have. Because here's the thing, we come to church for what? For fellowship, for teaching, for worship, and to prepare us to go out to proclaim the gospel to our fellow men. It prepares us for the work of the church. We need to make ourselves available to God. We need to be obedient to God. And the fruit of that good work, when we are obedient to God, is people turning to Christ. The great news is we are not responsible for building the church. Isn't that good news? Whew. If we turn to Acts, 
it says God added to their number daily. God does the work. We're just obedient. We just witness. We just testify. That's all we do. God does the rest. We're not responsible for salvation. We're not responsible for grace. We're not responsible for any of that. All of that is God's work. He does all of that part. We just are obedient in speaking the truth of the gospel. John 14, verses 23 through 26 says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. We got this. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this place. Thank you for Lou and for Steve and for Rich for coming today. They are good examples to us, Father, of boldly sharing your word. Please help us to be on mission. Father, please help us to seize the opportunities that you have given us. Please help us to be a church that is on your path, that is on your business, that is obeying you as you would have us do. Father, please help us to see the people that are in need, to hear them and to love on them. Father, please help us to, and give us the provision to be able to help the people in our valley. We pray for a, a blessing on our children. It seems that they're suffering, Father, and quite frankly, I feel powerless. I feel powerless in front of their suffering, and I, I lay it at your feet. If there's something we can do, if there's a word we can say, if there's a hug we can give, Father, please, we will do that. But they need you. They desperately need you now more than ever. So, Father, please come. Come big. Speak loud. Be bright. Father, we just ask that um, you bless every single person here, that as they go out into this week, that they would be close to you, that they would feel the warmth of your presence, that they would hear your voice, that they would, that they would see you this week, Father. And we ask all of that in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who went before us. Again, please um, head over to the fellowship hall. Um, please, like I say, take one of those.